Hey everybody, I'm Garrett. And I'm Melissa. We've been married for eight years and have two kids, Caleb and Sadie. Over the last few years, we have fallen in love with the scriptures and are learning how digging into God's word has helped us grow deeper with each other and those around us. We want to be real about our lives, our struggles, and our joys. This is Growing Deeper. Well, some of you may have thought we were never going to podcast again. Uh, and it's always been in the plan, and we were like, hey, two weeks, every two weeks was the best we could do right now, and then it was like, three weeks, <laughs> three weeks is the best we can do right now. I think we're finally to a point where we're going to be able to do these weekly again. Yeah. It was a little little nuts, but fun the past few weeks. Well, I say fun. We got the COVID vaccine a few weeks ago, and it made us not feel so great, and so... It was basically like having COVID again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we got the first shot of two, so we go go again to get the second one this week, so hopefully it won't affect us in the same way, but that slowed us down a little bit. Then Garrett went out of town for work, and then we went to Disney World. Yeah. And so that's something that we've been planning since before we bought our house, and um, it just happened to work out that it was a few weeks after we moved in. It... <laughs> It all worked out, and we had a really good time, and the kids did great for the most part. Well, I mean, there was there was a part where basically, you know, it, it was it's like a eight and a half to nine hour drive from here. Yeah, to, like if you just did it straight, mm-hmm. uh, eight and a half hour drive down to to Disney World where we were staying, and basically the kids did great for eight hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then for the last thirty minutes, Caleb basically exploded. It was like he just couldn't handle being <laughs> he, in the car. Anymore. It was like every every five minutes, he's like, "I gotta go tinkle. I gotta go tinkle. tinkle. Let me it out was, of the car." It's like it, a, just any it, excuse to get out of the car. I was like, "We're gonna drive through like, you know, the big, you know, Disney World sign, yeah. with screaming kids." Yeah, and then um, and so that's frustrate that frustrated me, and then going down there. And I hadn't done this before, so everything is new with it. And so I've got a kid screaming in the back at me who hates my guts. And Allegedly. I'm, and it's pouring rain. It was pouring rain the day we went down there. And I've never done this before, so I'm trying to figure out how to check in and do all this stuff. And so I'm basically like, this this trip sucks. <laughs> and then we walk into the room and the room is like a matchbox. It's tiny. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, "Oh tiny. my goodness, what have I done?" And, you know, we've got <laughs> It was funny though cuz it was called like the Little Mermaid Suite or something and yeah. so Garrett was like, "Well, this really puts the little in Little Mermaid." <laughs> yeah. Like we couldn't even get the stroller through the door. <laughs> we were like, "Where should it, we where are we going to Just put had the a single room? kid stroller, couldn't get it through the door. It was so tight. And uh and so I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this is horrible. This is a horrible start." It's raining. There's like we we can't like what are we gonna do right now? Yeah. And um, but it, as it went on, it really like so we went to Magic Kingdom the first day, and for the few first few hours it was really difficult. Mm-hmm. I, but and I remember saying that morning I was like, who whatever parent says that they have a good time doing this is a complete liar. <laughs> they are an absolute liar. And uh, but um, I guess as it went on, um. It got better, and yeah. the kids got better with doing the lines uh, yeah, and different think, stuff like I that. I think it was like a matter of understanding and getting used to like the concept of a line and what what they had. They didn't. I mean, Caleb has never been on any rides like that, so he didn't really know what he was looking forward to right. necessarily. And and a lot of the rides, you know, you can't really see what you're going to be doing until you get you know, close enough in the line. So he's like, why am I just standing here? I want to go right. ride something. That's what you said we were going to do. Yeah. So but as, as understood. Yeah, as they Sadie got too. used to that, um, and also with Sadie wearing a mask and everything, they that she did really great with that. Yeah, and, I mean, But as it went on, too. it was like, man, I, this is great. It mm-hmm. was really, it turned into a really enjoyable trip, and we were really glad that we did it. And I was, by the time we got back, I was like ready to do it again. Yeah. And so... Um, it started out rough. Well, it started out kind of good and then it got really rough and then it got way better. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, we had that and then all the COVID stuff and the moving and we really want to get back onto a weekly basis. And so that's kind of our goal going forward is yeah. that we want to get back into, into doing every week. Um, 
and and finish out Exodus strong, and um, that is kind of our hope right now. But uh, yeah, so we should be doing that. Yeah. So before we jump into Exodus chapter twenty nine, as a reminder that that's where we're where 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 we are, uh, it's time for another round of Chick fil A kids table topics roulette. <laughs> Yeah, I had to look at the card to see what it was called. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, do you want to go first? I guess that. I guess yeah. I always go first. Yeah. It, and this is for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are fun? What are fun things to do on a rainy day? Oh. I love to read books on a rainy day. That doesn't really get to happen anymore. Because yeah, we have kids. Yeah, because of the kiddos. But my favorite thing to do on a rainy day is to read a book. That's absolutely fun to me. If I had that, my answer would be take a nap. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, okay, here's mine. If you scored a point, what would your victory dance look like? Mm. So, thank goodness this isn't on, like, camera, or else you'd probably be like, do the dance. Yeah. Uh, but I have to think about that. Would you play oh, an air guitar? Or, uh... Huh. I don't know. Like, the only thing... The only actual... Thing close to a victory dance I've done is like the airplane, you know, like after you score in soccer. Go! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like pretend like you're flying. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. That's not really a dance. No. But, um, I always like the NFL, uh, you know, with like they would do the bowling pins. You're, you've seen them do the bowling pins before, yeah. right? Well, I've like seen, they're celebrating. I'd, probably mine would be the worm because I know how to do that. <laughs> but the only worm. backwards. Okay. Not forwards. Yeah. But does that even count as a dance? Yeah, that's a dance. Know. That's a victory dance. So, yeah, prob- probably that. Or just like a... Caleb would just shake his booty. My sister Jennifer would be the running man. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, shouts out. Yeah. Uh, if you ever... If you know my sister, and I never, ask her to do it. What is What was the dance that everybody knew how to do not that long ago that I could never figure it out? It was... Oh, flossing? The, the flossing. I can never do it. I never learned how to floss. I do know how to floss. <laughs> <laughs> Both dancing and actual teeth flossing. <laughs> yeah. I never, I, I could never conquer that, that one. I'm sure if I put enough practice into it. but You can do anything you put your mind to. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. not taken out of context at all. Yeah. You can definitely Paul floss was definitely now. thinking about flossing I'm whenever sure. he wrote that. Yeah. All right, well, cool. So let's uh, let's transition into the scripture. Um, just a, a reminder of uh, where we left off um, in Exodus twenty-eight is the whole description of the priestly garments, and you know it, it's outlining all the things that um, is being set up to be put on Moses' brother Aaron, uh, and, and and we're still in the setting. We're still up on the mountain. You know, it's been lots of chapters on the mountain of Moses being given these instructions between the tabernacle and now it's transitioned into the priestly garments. And, and ultimately, you know, what, what we get a sense of is this blinged out, um, Aaron is a, is going to be a symbol of a new Adam. He's, he's reflective of the, the image of God, you know, that's, um, that he's going to represent, um, that he in some ways is going to be this new Adam, is able to regain access into the Garden of Eden, and how we've talked about that through the through the tabernacle and how passing by the cherubim and going into the the glory of God, uh, that this is all hearkening back to to the Eden narrative and the tabernacle is this microcosm of 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 creation of all of creation and 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 Aaron is is being given these garments and he's going to be reflecting the divine glory, and he's uh, the the what we said last time that he's bedazzled, uh, he's blinged out in all of this stuff and it's reflecting the, the divine glory of God. And, uh, and so it just really went through all of those things. He's bearing, bearing the names of Israel. Uh, he's also bearing the name of Yahweh. So he's both a representative of Yahweh to the people, but he's also a representative of the people to Yahweh. He's a two way person. He's not, and it's not that he's elevated. He, or as far as like that, he's, um, that he's more important than the other Israelites. He's representative of the other Israelites. So in by its nature, by what the nature of what he's doing, 
he is acting on behalf of the Israelites. So by him accessing the divine glory, by extension, the Israelites are accessing the divine glory. So it's not that he's kind of put up on this pedestal above everybody else. I don't think that's the intention of what the high priest is supposed to be. It's like by him going in, it's like everybody else is going in. Now, it certainly gets turned that way. I think whenever anytime you have somebody that's given this role, you know, it kind of highlights the... I guess the darkness that we have just still ingrained in us. Uh, what what was the line from uh, from the uh, Battlestar has in uh, Falcon or Winter Soldier and Falcon? That what what does power power do? Power oh, makes, makes us more, more of who we, we are. Yeah. And uh, and so whenever you have somebody that is that is given this position and this title, um, it has a tendency to corrupt. Um, you know what in another superhero line uh what absolute power corrupts absolutely um and that i think it's a superman thing of that like whenever he's being given all that you know like whenever he's stronger than everybody else then the fear is that he's going to turn it into a you know that he's going to use his power for his own means anyways so it it can certainly become that but that's not what the intention is the intention was for him to be a servant uh, to Israel and to represent them to God on their behalf, and that by extension, that they essentially would be able to access the divine glory. Um, and so we're going to continue into this section uh, talking about Aaron. Uh, we went over his garments, and now he's going. It's going to be talking about what we're going to do even further once you're once the garments are put on him. What are the things that we're going to do to Aaron? What is, what what's going to happen? It's, this is going to be mostly around his consecration. Um, and so we will. We will jump into it. So Exodus chapter 29, let's do this. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from fine wheat flour without yeast make bread and cakes mixed with oil and wafers spread with oil. Put them in a basket and present them in it, along with the bull and the two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, and the ephod itself, and the breastpiece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred diadem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and put headbands on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. In this way, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Okay, so we're it's this these first nine verses are kind of setting up the chapter as a whole as to what's what's about to happen, and this is all going to revolve around the consecration of Aaron and his sons. So, so I think consecration is kind of a loaded word, and it's a very religious word, and and so I I, I think it doesn't help us to continue if we don't really know what consecration means. So. Um, what, what do you, how do you understand consecration? Well, just my initial thought was just like preparing for holiness in this, in this case, preparing to be like made clean, made holy, made set apart. Yeah. And that, that process of doing that. Yeah. And, and so it, 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 it's definitely those things. Um, and it's a, it's a pro the process of making something not just clean it's already clean mm-hmm. something that's uh unclean can't be made holy you have it has to first be made clean mm-hmm. and then it can be transferred into holy holy status and uh holiness to be holy um means that it is dedicated to the service of god mm-hmm. uh, that it's separated for that service and purpose uh and ultimately i think with holiness it like I, i've kind of been mulling over holiness and what it what exactly does it mean to be holy and how did how is God holy and um and, and I think like for God to be holy uh and utterly separated and utterly transcendent um you think about it in a way of like whenever you think of compassion um that there is no being that is more compassionate or displays compassion more than God more than Yahweh he's the ultimate He's the ultimate version of compassion. Uh, if anything, you know, it's like he is the one that shows what compassion is in the first place. So, like, he's like the ultimate of these types, like, of his attributes. 
when we, when we get into Exodus chapter 32, you know, it's like gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love. Like he is those things. He's the ultimate version of those things. And so to be that, um, I guess to think about those things separate from him, that just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And, um, so anyways, holiness is like this totally other that when we try to think of good, that's what he's, he's the ultimate version of that. And so anyways, um, the consecration is moving from just, from not, from just being clean to actually being dedicated and holy, uh, uh, WH, holy dedicated to God. Um, and uh, and so that that's what it's for, and it, like it's for no other use. Whenever it becomes God, it is God's. It, it can't be anybody else's. Um, you can't serve two masters, right? As as Jesus would say, and um, and so to be consecrated to God is to be utterly dedicated to Him. And so that's what that's what's about to happen here. And so this is their consecration, and then um, in order, I guess, to go through the consecration, there's three different things that are brought up. Um, what a uh, young bull, two rams without defect. So there's, uh, there's this idea of purity with these and the unleavened bread uh, that's brought forward. These are going to be used as we go through the chapter. Um, but in, in some ways, I, I think that these, these things represent what Aaron is supposed to be. Um, these, uh, ram, these bulls and rams without defect and bread that isn't poisoned by leaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the leaven is the leaven bread is smeared with oil. Um, I, just an interesting note there is that when the bread is smeared with oil, the word under that underneath that the Hebrew word is uh, Messiah, uh, which is where we it's the root word for Messiah, uh, where we get the word Messiah, or translated into Greek, Christ, the Christos, um, and it's just, it's anointing. It just means the anointing it with oil. Uh, smearing oil on it, and uh, and as you go through here, what you'll see, like he's washed with, you know, gonna bring all these things there. They're gonna wash with water, um, and they're gonna put all the stuff that we talked about in chapter twenty eight. They're gonna put that all on him, and they're going to anoint Aaron, uh, and they're gonna pour this oil over his head, um, and so essentially, that's what, whenever you anoint some with with oil, uh, they become. Uh, that's their Messiah. Aaron is the first Messiah in Scripture. He's the one anointed uh, for God's service, and so um, uh, it's just a interesting thing. He's the first person um, that I'm aware of that's anointed with oil, um, and it's it's also kind of sad uh, because you where we're gonna go like the same like at this same moment the things that are happening at the bottom of the mountain. While Moses is being told Aaron's going to be the guy, he's going to mm-hmm. be the Messiah. You know, he's going to be the Messiah. He's the one who is anointed. Yeah. Um. And uh. And yet, at the same time, the stuff that's going on is it, it kind of it's it's hope mixed with mis you know with with sadness. Yeah. Um. So when I read this, I was you know I'm thinking about how he has people that are helping him, you know, put on putting on this tunic and, you know, the waistband, the turban and all these things, the sacred diadem. And I was, I, it made me think of, of course, a Lord of the Rings movie, (laughs) the second one, um, two towers. There's a part where the King, they're getting ready, um, for a battle. And, you know, all the regular soldiers, the men who are just, they have to fight, they're putting on their own armor Mm -hmm. and sharpening their own swords and, and doing that kind of thing. But the king has a special room where his helpers are and 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 these people that are dedicated to him yep. are putting on his armor for him. Yeah. Like they're helping him getting on all his special things and everything. And to me, when I not that, you know, Aaron's not going into war, but I do think he's being dressed like a king. Yeah. And when I think of um how this is ultimately going to be the role of Jesus, mm-hmm. um the the only one who could like fulfill this and you know <laughs> in a way that was going to be sustaining. Yeah. Um 
it just it it kind of is taking me there of like this this is made for a king, you know, yeah. and that's who Jesus is. So. Yeah. And, I mean, in this, this whole being clothed, like it, taking these garments and putting this on somebody, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is, this is very much language in the new Testament of that, you know, Paul would say, take off the old garments and put on the new, mm-hmm. uh, the new, the new garments of the Messiah. And, um, in, yeah, it, it, like I, I totally see that scene of the. It's just like this doning, and and it, it, it is it is armor in some mm-hmm. way. It's just not an armor meant for battle. Right. It's an armor meant to, or you know, it's like this covering, um, over you so that you can approach the divine glory, mm-hmm. and uh, and in some ways, I I think I I do I I see this playing off of a like of a war narrative. It, but it's like def, it's like definitively not a warning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it yeah, it, it does kind of feel that way. Of, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, and so instead of and and he is a king, like he's kind of and again, there's a there's I feel like there's this desire for there to be this mixture of priest and king, mm-hmm. and that he's going to wear this crown. I mean, there's going to be the crown on this head that says "Holy belonging to Yahweh." Yeah. Um. And so there. Uh, there's this desire for these two things to be mixed together and um and unfortunately it's not it's not going to work out for Aaron um because of the choices that he makes but you can feel you can feel the desire for this uh you know for this one who's going to be this priest king yeah um that yeah that instead of instead of fighting other people um that he's able to deal with sin, the like the true enemy, uh, the true thing that's behind all of the evil of the world, uh, that has entangled it. Uh, that he's going to be able to be this warrior uh, to deal with that, um, so that we can collectively approach the divine glory. So um, yeah, I, I totally see that. Um, and like just the it is it's a beautiful scene it's a in the in lord of the rings it's a lament uh, mm-hmm. that he has because it's like it feels like all is lost um as he's putting on his armor but it's like there's this well this and, this constant like like all the people around him are like we're we're with you yeah and, and we'll that, trust that's you. the thing is that the people are looking to him for strength and yeah. and and purpose of what to do and so like that's you know like kings aren't necessarily going to ne- be in the front line of battle right you know and like it's it's kind of i don't know it just kind of reminds me of that here where it's just like yeah people are going to be looking to Aaron mm-hmm. or looking you know and his sons is like their guide because he's the one who's talking with god you know right. he's so and he's the one going to god on their behalf so they're yeah. going to be looking to him in the same way that people would look to a king for guidance. Yeah. So. Yeah, and so so he's going to be the he's going to be the first anointed one of God uh in the scriptures. Um I I could be wrong on that, but I I'm pretty sure that that's it that he's the first one. And and so it's interesting with the anointing, why oil? What's the deal with oil? I I think just in general the spirit is um the spirit of God is often displayed as a like a fluid. Um and so like a an oil or like water kind of things that are always described. It's always described that way. Um, and so it, I guess the idea of is the, the spirit of God is on him. Um, and you know, you would get that with David. Um, David's going, both Saul and David are going to be anointed ones of God. They're going to get the oil poured out over them. And whenever David is anointed, the spirit of God leaves Saul and he goes and he's with, with David instead. Um, and so I think the anointing oil is kind of like this symbol of the spirit of God being with somebody, um, and, and being over them, poured over them, anointed on top of them. And and that's what happens. Actually, Jesus's, uh, uh, anointing scene is his baptism, um, where he is, he's baptized in the Jordan. He rises, he comes up and then the spirit descends on him. Uh, in Luke, the very next chapter, he goes to Nazareth. And he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, that I'm, I'm his anointed. Uh, he says right after, or after his temptation, and he goes to uh, Nazareth, that he says that now he is anointed with the spirit of God. Um, and so, anyways, those are just things that 
come to mind as we uh, go through this. But anyways, they're covered up. They've, they've got all their stuff on it. Uh, and now we're going to go into, we're, we're going to try to break this up into sections so we don't get lost. Um, but what, what happens with these, these three things, the young bull, the two rams, and the unleavened bread? So we'll pick up in verse 10. And it says, And you will bring the bull before the tent of assembly, and Aaron and his sons will lay their hand hands on the head of the bull, and you will slaughter the bull before Yahweh at the entrance of the tent of assembly. And you will take some of the blood of the bull, and with your finger put it on the horns of the altar, and you will pour it uh, pour out all the blood at the base of the altar, and you will take and turn into smoke on the altar all the fat coverings and inner parts and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the flesh of the bull and its skin and its offal you will burn with fire outside the camp it is a sin offering so that's the first you you take the you take the bull uh, and you slaughter it and then it's kind of divided up uh, into sections one part one part of it stays on the altar uh, and is turned into smoke. The other part, the skin, the outside parts, are taken outside the camp uh, and burned up out there. Okay, so that's the first part. And it, this is the first part is the sin offering. That's specific about this. This is the first section of of the three different offerings that we're going to run into. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this section? Well, when we first read it, I was like, Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's really, without talking about it further, it's just kind of hard to know where to go with this. Um, yeah. But I really, I really liked what we talked about when you mentioned that basically this, this idea of separating the sin yeah. and having it being outside of, you know, outside of the altar, outside yeah. of this holy place and, and it burning up there and that burning out there and that being the flesh and, you know, like reminding me of New Testament scripture to like the old flesh is gone, mm-hmm. you know, of like this idea of the separation of the part of us that like our sinful nature. Yeah. And, um, then of course I thought of another movie. Oh, right. Yeah, okay, so let's hold on to that for <laughs> okay. just a second. Let's hold on to that for just a second. Okay, so as we walk through this, uh, this is going to be something that you're going to see in all these all, all these offerings, uh, is that they bring the bull, right, to the, to, the, to the tent of assembly, and Aaron and his sons, they lay their hands on, on the head of the bull. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when they lay, they, and they lean, they'll lean on, his, on, on this bull. Um, and what that... What that symbolizes isn't necessarily just a transition of sin. Uh, what the leaning right is talking about is this transfer of identity. Uh, this is what Michael Morales says in uh, "Who Shall Ascend?" His book, "Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord." He says the sacrificial animal. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. So uh, the sacrificial animal is still regarded as blameless and holy after the the handling gesture. Its flesh, for example, is still considered. Uh, holy uh to be eaten um anyways the uh transferring one sin to the animal would defeat the purpose of uh, its being blameless uh able to ascend into the heavenly abode of god as a pleasing aroma um the israelite gesture leaning his hand heavily upon the animal the animal's head is a dramatic declaration that he is this animal that is uh it is taking his place in the ritual, unable to ascend God's holy mountain of himself, the Israelite will ascend through the blameless substitute. So uh, the the hand-leading rite was to, um, to say that this thing is me. Um, it, it is, it's holy me, um, in that uh, he would, not just a plain substitute, but a vicarious substitute, and that this is identified with me. Um, and so... He leans his hand on the bull. It becomes, it's like this extension of himself. And then the bull is, um, is separated out into two different sections. So you have the inner parts that are laid on the altar. The altar is, the altar is holy. You're not going to take sinful stuff and you put it on the altar. 
Um, the inner parts are taken there, and then the outer parts, this flesh, is taken out and, and burned outside the city. What I think, what, what I think is happening here is I, th- I think that what this is symbolizing uh, for the sin offering is the separation out between uh, from from your sin. He's taking the sin apart from this bull uh, after its death, um, and he is. The, the sin is going outside the camp and being burned up, and then the rest of the animal is being turned into smoke uh, and ascending to God. Um, that, that seems to be the, the idea that's going on here. And I think in, in some way that's it's symbolizing what's happening to the sin, is that it's being separated out from you um, it, without destroying you, like because this bull died on your behalf. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so the movie... So movie the movie. reference, yeah. Yeah, I'm coming at you with the movie references. Too. Yeah. Um, so Harry Potter. So our other go-to movie, it seems like, for all, all, yeah. all these scriptures. Um, so in Harry Potter, um, there, Voldemort, the bad guy, um, has all these things called hor- horcruxes, which are basically pieces of him living in various things and one of the horcruxes spoiler is harry himself Mm -hmm. so harry has this evil piece of him evil piece of voldemort inside of him and the only way for him to get rid of that is to die that's right and um so like in the to movie, kill to kill it is to kill, to kill Harry yeah, too. Is to, yeah, to yeah to to get rid of it Harry has to die. Yeah. And so there's this. I think the movie does a really good job of showing, and and it has helped me with a lot of scriptural things really of like seeing this ugly piece that was living inside of Harry, mm-hmm. and and how it's now because they're. Because he's dead, seeing it outside of him, and how that's how he was able to separate yeah. from that like evil piece. Yeah, and so that is what I'm kind of seeing a little bit here with this, with um, this thought that maybe you know the flesh being burned outside is like this way of really separating out that evil, sinful nature. Into this, like the Horcrux, if you will, mm-hmm. being separated and dying separately from the good that is still left to be with God. Right. Yeah. And so, and then whenever that part is turned into smoke upon the altar, it ascends to God, and the other stuff is sent outside the camp, which I think is really interesting. Whenever I, whenever I consider Jesus's death, um, that he's taken outside the city um, in order to to die as a as uh, offering for sins, mm-hmm. um, that he is dying for sins and or for the forgiveness of sins. So I, I think that that's interesting that he dies outside, um, outside of the city. Um, so, anyways, so yeah, there's like the separation um, in order to deal with the sin. I, I think that that's in play here. Um, and then uh, with the slaughtering rite itself, uh, this is Michael Morales again. He says, upon identifying himself with the animal. Declaring, as it were, I am this animal. The Israelite himself would then ritually slaughter the animal by cutting its throat. The act demonstrates, thus demonstrates a willingness to die to oneself along with an acknowledgement uh, in submission to the judgment of God that, quote, the soul that sins shall, shall sur- surely die. Once more, it is not that the worshiper's sins have been transferred to the animal, making it worthy of death, but rather that the blameless one, with which the Israelite has identified himself, must die life for life. The inescapable consequence of the worshiper's own sinfulness is death. There can be no atonement apart from death. The identification established uh, through the Semitical rite ensures nevertheless uh, that the worshiper is himself dying through the animal's death, accepting its judgment, and being delivered through it. In a sense, that will not be uh, fleshed out until the ascension of Christ, yet no less legitimate here. God must be approached through death, returning to the cosmogonic paradigm of the Exodus deliverance. We see that Israel was not merely delivered from the waters of death, but through them. Dying to the old life in Egypt 
and in, in the process and in preparation for, for life with God in the land of Canaan, uh, even as Noah was delivered through the waters of death, dying to the old creation so as to live in the present one. And so all of this is calling on a lot of different uh, of, of things uh, going on here. But um, it, it's, it's this idea of dying to oneself. Uh, this bull is standing in the place and saying, you know, I'm dying to me, myself. I'm going to be wholly dedicated to you. Um, so yeah, and then the and then the the blood, um, the blood has some sort of, I guess I'll call it detergent, operative that it's a, um, it's able to clean that which has been made dirty, um, and be, because it's a symbol of life, uh, it's a symbol of um, of that which you know that which contain contains life, um. This is Michael Morales again. Uh, Through the blood manipulation, the soul of the worshiper identified with the animal uh, is being brought into contact with the divine. Uh, The blood, therefore, symbolically conveys the offering of one's blameless life to God. Uh, Probably the blood served as a purging agent as well, a detergent purifying the sacred objects from the pollution of the Israelite worshiper's sin and expiating uh, that sin from God's sight. Um, he goes on further, uh, when Israel's uncleanness defiles the tabernacle and its furnishings, therefore sprinkling, placing, and smearing life, uh, that is blood, upon the horns of the altar of ascension offering, for example, serves to wipe away and obliterate the pollution of death. Understanding the correlation of life with, uh, life with holiness this basic point that life obliterates death appears to be the rationale for why the, an unclean person must not have contact with the holy lest one su- uh, such a one dies. So the blood is applied in order to, it's like this life over death. Um, and so the blood of the, of the bull is taken and put on the altar uh, to make it holy, uh, to cover over any defilement um, as well as at the base. Of, of the altar. So yeah, those are the things, those are different things that are going on here just in this first one. Uh, but largely it's going to repeat itself uh, as we go through. Um, so you want to read All right. this next section? Verse 15. Take one of the rams and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it and take the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides. Cut the ram into pieces and wash the inner parts and the legs, putting them with the head and the other pieces. Then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering for the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. Take the other ram, and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on its head. Slaughter it, and take some of the blood, its blood, and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Then sprinkle blood against the altar on all sides. And take some of the blood on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. Then he and his sons and their garments will be consecrated. Take from this ram the fat, the fat tail, the fat around the inner parts, the covering of the liver, both kidneys with the fat on them, and the right thigh. This is the ram for the ordination. Okay, so in this one we're transitioning. So we've dealt with sin. Sin has been dealt with. Um, and they've essentially been made clean at this point. Um, and, but now we're transitioning into another sacrifice. And so whatever this sacrifice is, it's not for sins. And and that's just something that I I think is interesting as we talk about sacrifices. Usually when we think about sacrifices, we only think about sacrifices for sin. Uh, and, and maybe sacrifice isn't the right word. Um, but that's just what we use. Um, it's, it's an offering, um, that I think that may be a better a better word, less loaded, um, but it's an offering, and uh, but this particular offering has nothing to do with dealing with sins. Sins have been dealt with. So what is this doing? Uh, this is this is commonly I've talked about this before the the Ola offering, which is the ascension offering. It's the burnt offering, uh, and and what this is doing, you take both of these rams are going to um, 
their their blood's also going to be sprinkled around the altar. They're going to be sprinkled on Aaron and his sons. They're going to be put on their body, right? There's This may be the only other instance other than Exodus 24 where people have blood put on them. Um, but again, it's this purging agent, right? That is this life over death type thing. Um, but they're going to be sprinkled with that. But the I think I think the the primary aspect of this to think about is the the what happens to it. Uh, it is it's turned into smoke on the altar. Verse eighteen, and you will turn it into smoke on the altar. Uh, all of the ram. It is a burnt offering for Yahweh. It is the smell of appeasement, an offering by fire for Yahweh. And so, what it's going to do is it's going to be transformed. It's it's going to this thing again. They lay their hands on this one too. They're identifying. They no longer have sin to transfer. You know, so it has nothing to do with sin transfer. It's identity transfer. Um, and they're going to transfer their identity to it. And this thing is going. These these rams are going to be turned into smoke, and they're going to ascend to God as a pleasing aroma. And um, maybe that sounds weird to us, but just think about breathing in, like you know, breathing in air, like it becomes part of you. Um, and shouts out to our Yankee candle lovers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like you get this sense of like. You know, it, it it fills your lungs, you know, yeah. and so like God is kind of anthropomorphized here to, um, like this idea that He's taking you in, you know, mm-hmm. like He's breathing you in because you've identified with this thing. It's been transformed into smoke. It's ascended to God, and He breathes it in. Um, that is, I think that's really interesting, and the idea here is that they are, um, being transferred or uh, transferred into God's presence, um. Which is, it's like, we've dealt with sin, now we can approach the throne of God. This burnt offering is is symbolizing that. Uh, that they're ascending to God. They're ascending the mountain um, to to be with God. Um, do you have any other, any thoughts on this any further? I mean, it's just kind of gross. I yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah I, it feels weird to us. It feels, yeah. it feels so foreign um, that it's just... I don't know. I just think about, I I do think a lot about how, you know, Aaron doesn't, Aaron is not here, as we have mentioned, you mm-hmm. know, that this is a moment between God and Moses. And so it's just like, it's weird to think that Aaron doesn't know, like, that this is what he's going to be doing. Yet. Yeah. Like, because this is just, this would feel kind of overwhelming, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, I think with the, the pleasing aroma, that's something yeah. that comes up a lot. Um it's mentioned, you know, a few times in the in the New Testament, mostly in the lips of of Paul, um, and he he try he uses the metaphor as if you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll read this one. Uh, this is from uh, Philippians chapter four. He says, um, you know, he he's I, I, I'm pretty sure Paul's in prison at this point, um, and he has had somebody come to him and give him gifts uh, from from the Philippians. They've sent him some sent him somebody uh and brought him gifts of Thanksgiving. I keep uh, hearing you say like gifs. Like gifs? GIF. No, gifts. No, I mean you're saying gifts. Gifts. Oh yeah. But I keep hearing it like <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> he says this he says this gifts. though in verse eighteen. He says, But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. This is him in prison. I have an abundance because of you guys. Uh I will uh I am well supplied because I have received from Epaphroditus, Ditus, Effort, whatever his name, uh, what you had sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will fulfill your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Messiah, or in Christ Jesus. Uh, now to our God and Father be, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's kind of uh, right before he ends the whole, his whole letter. Anyways, the, they're they're offering a fragrance offering. It's it's the language that's used in this burnt offering um, stuff, and uh, and so there's this idea that like this by our actions, by what we're doing, uh, how we serve one another, uh, that's kind of how we offer fragrant offerings. That's what you know, kind of what it's symbolizing, um, and why he uses that language. Um, I think there's a couple more. Um, this is in 2 Corinthians 2. Um, he says, Now when I arrived in uh, Troas, 
for the gospel of Christ, uh, and a door was opened for me by the Lord. I did not experience rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but saying farewell to them, I departed from Macedonia. Um, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, who reveals the fragrance of knowledge of him through us in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are who are perishing to those on the one hand of an odor from death to death and to those on the other hand a fragrance from life to life who and who is qualified for for these things for we are not like the majority who peddle the word of god but as as from pure motives but as from god we speak before god in christ and so he's saying um, you know, that we are this fragrance offering. Like, we are the aroma of Christ. <laughs> you know, it's like, what What are you doing? Like, anyways, I don't, I don't want to search and, like, figure out exactly what he's saying in 2 Corinthians. I just want to say that he's taking this language that we're finding in Exodus and he's applying it mm-hmm. and saying, this is like that. Um, so, anyways, those are just a couple examples of why, maybe why it would be important for us to to think about these things. What does it mean to be a pleasing aroma to God and that he's kind of taking us in um, and what all that is symbolizing? Okay, so next section here, uh, we've had the burnt offering. Now we're going to transition into the the culminating offering. I think this is actually the, you know, the pinnacle of the offerings. Um, so what, what section? What? 23 through 28. Okay. In one loaf of bread, and one ring-shaped bread cake of oiled bread, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before Yahweh, you will put them, them all, on the palms of Aaron, on all the palms of his sons, and you will wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh. And you will take from them, or you will take, take, take them from their hand and turn them into smoke on the altar beside the burnt offering as a fragrance of appeasement before Yahweh. It is an offering made by fire before Yahweh. And you will take the breast section of the ram of ordination that is for Aaron, and you will wave it as a wave offering before Yahweh. It will be your portion. And you will consecrate the wave offering breast section and the thigh of the contribution that was waved and that was presented from the ram of ordination that is for Aaron and his sons. And it will be for Aaron and for his sons a lasting rule from the Israelites because of its contribution. It is a contribution, and it will be a contribution from the Israelites from their sacrifices of fellowship, their contribution to Yahweh. So this section, it was kind of taking me back to the first couple verses, you know, when we're first mentioning the the bread and the cakes and everything. And I'm when we first read the first few verses, I thought about, obviously eating, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and how we have talked about this idea of eating with God yeah, and how that has happened, you know, just a few chapters back. And so now it seems like we're finally to a part that's like, yes. Yeah. This is, this <laughs> like, is yeah, exactly where it's been going. Yeah. Like, and so yeah. it's, it's, I do like the idea of fellowship offering is of, of that's what this is mm-hmm. essentially of, coming together and eating a meal. I feel like as people, that's like one of our favorite things to do. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's like we're finally to that point where it's not like, you know, slaughter a ram, you know? It's yeah, like, yeah. I, it's I like mean, take these this things. is this is where it's all been going. Yeah. It, it's like that, I I don't want to demean the sin sacrifice, you know, the, the sin, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it serves a purpose to get here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's all about, again, what is the purpose of sacrifices or what is the purpose of offerings? The the root word for korban is to draw, draw near. near. Yeah. And so all of this is about drawing near to God, but it culminates in the fellowship offering. Yeah. And so the idea is that, the, yeah, this is a meal that's going on between God and the priests right mm-hmm. now. And it's like they have their portion. He has their his portion. And they're sharing a meal together. It's this. It's a celebration, and uh, and so you know. Yeah, they they couldn't do this without the sin offering. Absolutely, because they wouldn't be able to be in his presence. Yeah, with that sin still on them. Yeah. Um. So it, yeah, I mean, it's like 
all these things. It's just the process that's necessary. Right. And so, again, I, I just hearken back. So we had this three-stage thing where it's like the sin offering, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering. This is the way it goes. You did the same thing, Exodus chapter 24. They do uh, uh, sin offering, burnt offering, and fellowship. Then they eat a meal on the top of the mountain in, in Exodus chapter 24. And I, and I think this is really, I mean, this is a really important uh, for us, because as we think about the work of Christ, that we think about what He did, um, He He is a, a, a sacrifice for sins. He He is atoning for our sins, uh, but He's also ascended the mountain. He's also ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we commune with Him uh, through the Lord's Supper by partaking of the Lord's Supper. That's like the that's the culminating act that we're like, hey, we are, as Paul would say, we also are seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. Um, and so this is where it's been going. He wants us to draw near. He wants these people to draw near. And so this is the culminating offering, and uh, it's symbolized through the through the bread, uh, which is, uh, I mean, that's the symbol that Jesus uses. He uses unleavened bread at the, at the Lord's Supper, at his Passover meal. Um, and so he, he, you know, these things are are culminating to this interaction with God and uh, and communing with Him. I think that's cool. I think that's what this has all been about. Um, so this net, you want to do the next section, and then we'll we'll finish it up. Yeah. All right. So we're starting in verse twenty nine. Yeah. Aaron sac Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants, so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. Take the ram for the ordination and cook the meat in a sacred place. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons are to eat the meat of the ram and the bread that is in the basket. They are to eat these offerings by which atonement was made for their ordination and consecration. But no one else may eat them because they are sacred. And if any of the meat of the ordination ram or any bread is left over till morning, burn it up. It must not be eaten because it is sacred. Do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you, taking seven days to ordain them. Okay, so, and really, uh, this is kind of ending the section and saying this is going to be like this seven-day uh, ordination period, which it, it harkens back to to the creation narrative in that it's like seven days is this symbol of completion, God completing creation, in the same way it's going to be this completion of of Aaron and his son's ordination. Um, so seven seems like a great number to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so, you know, and, and you still get this sense of this eating and this fellowship with God um, uh, that, you know, and that, what nobody nobody else can really partake of this right now. Mm-hmm. The stranger will not eat eat them because they are holy objects. So all of this it's about them being they're being made holy, and all this stuff is holy. They're, but they're eating of holy stuff, like they're partaking of it. It's becoming part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then yeah, so seven day ordination period uh, that that transitions to um, for their for their service in the tabernacle. Okay, read this last section and we will we'll be done. And you will offer a bull for a sin offering every day for the atonement. And you will offer a sin offering on the altar when you make atonement for it, and you will anoint, anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you will make atonement for the altar, and you will consecrate it, and the altar will be a most holy thing. Anyone who touches the altar will be holy. And this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old male lambs every day continually. The first lamb uh, you will offer in the morning. The second lamb you will offer at twilight. And a tenth of finely milled flour mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine as a libation with the first lamb. And the second lamb you will offer at twilight. You will offer a grain offering and its libation like that of the morning for a fragrance of appeasement and offering made by fire for Yahweh. It will be a burnt offering to of continuity throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of assembly before Yahweh where I will meet with you to speak with you there. 
And I will meet with the Israelites there, and it will be it will be consecrated by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent of assembly and the altar, and Aaron and his sons I will consecrate to serve as priests for me, and I will dwell in the midst of the Israelites, and I will be their God. And they will know that I am Yahweh their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt in order to dwell in their midst. I am Yahweh their God. So this section kind of starts out with the repeating of like sacrificing for seven days. And we kind of talked about how that's the completion, you know, of this. But then the thing that really stuck out to me in this fir- the first part of this section is um, in verse 37, the end of it is, then the altar will be most holy and whatever touches it will be holy. And it was just kind of reminding me, and I don't, I'm not really sure if there is a connection here, but I was just thinking about how we've had conversations about how Jesus, when he touched people, he made them clean mm-hmm. as opposed to them making him unclean. unclean. Yeah, And I, I kind of feel like there's an aspect of that here yeah and i mean they have gone through all these offerings and sacrifices to make themselves clean um but i also i just it just so much reminded me uh of this this idea of god's and as we you know as we go through this whole section of god's role in this because up to this point it's felt like you get the impression Aaron is doing all these things. Aaron and his sons are doing all these things. And now you're seeing God's role. Yeah, right. So uh, it, it's the idea of this, I'll call it contagious holiness. Mm-hmm. In the, instead of the holy section be in, being infected by that which is unclean, it's like the holiness is going out. Like mm-hmm. It's like it's expanding yeah. to other things, uh, which, is, which is odd. I mean, it's like just not the way that you you normally think about it. Yeah. You think about something unclean, touching somebody that's clean and being like, Oh, well that person that was clean is now unclean. It goes the other direction. Mm -hmm. But here it's inversed, which is very, uh, maybe one of the first times I noticed that is Isaiah chapter six, where, you know, Isaiah is in the throne room of God and he says, I should not be here. I'm an, I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm unholy. I have unclean lips is what he says, right? I'm an unclean man with unclean lips kind of thing. and Or like I'm around, I can't remember. It's like I'm a group of unclean people and I have unclean lips. Anyways, the point that goes on, the uh, seraphim comes over to him with this hot coal, this burning coal from the altar of incense, and uh, touches his lips. And so instead of the, the coal becoming unclean, it he's made clean. Um, and he says, you know, Hey, get up, go do this thing. Um, so he, so the holiness goes out to Isaiah as opposed to it, his uncleanliness going back. And, uh, so like, that's kind of the first instance that I thought about, but this is way earlier, you know, that that Mm -hmm. kind of thing happens. But yeah. And then it, and then the idea of what one of, one of Jesus's first like controversial things he does is he says to the man who's lame, he says, get up and, you know, or he tells him your sins are forgiven, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he, and then the Pharisees freak out, the scribes freak out and they're like, who is this person that for, can forgive sins? Yeah, um, doesn't that take a lot more meaning now that we know what it took? I mean, the process that happened. Well, and that, where it happened. Yeah. Like, where does forgiveness of sins happen? It mm-hmm. happens at the, the altar. altar. Mm-hmm. Right? And so Jesus is walking around acting like a moving altar. He He's this he's this altar that moves around and declares forgiveness of sins. Right? And and, and acts that way. And, his, and the holiness goes out from him. And that he's able to... He touches this person, you know, and he says, get up, you know, right? And... and Take your mat and go home. And he does, which proves the former that he had the power to forgive sin. So there was already, that's why that was so controversial. There was a place for forgiveness of sins. And like who, you know, it's like, well, if you're not God, how can you forgive somebody on God's behalf? Mm -hmm. You know, and so the the latter in that that instance, the latter thing that he does proves the former thing was true, that he has the power to forgive sins, which was, only supposed to happen here at the altar. So it's like Jesus is kind of replacing the altar. He's the he's the true form of the altar um, that's able to forget the place of forgiveness of sins. Um, 
So yeah, like I think that was that's definitely played out in what Jesus is doing, um, and what he's the things that he's doing and saying is like he's he's this thing right here that he is this altar that people can cling to, and become holy, you know, and be dedicated to God's service. Um, what what one thing that to notice is just you got the whole bull thing for the for the sin, and then we're gonna have the two lambs, which is very much the same. So what happened with Aaron and his sons? Aaron and his sons are supposed to go forth and do for others. Um, do for the rest of Israel what's been done for them. And so they're going to offer the bull, and then they're going to do the two two rams. You get it. Like, it's a, it, this is a thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the, the lambs are ascension offerings. So you've got the bull that's the sin offering daily, and then you have the two ascension offerings. It's this intermingling of Israel with God. Um, in them ascending to God daily, twice a day, um, you know, through smoke. Um, and so you'd have this continual, I guess kind of this continual smoke cloud that's going up and ascending to God all day long uh, because they would keep the the fires burning all the time. So it's like this visual indication or this visual idea of what they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be and what they represent. Um. So anyways, and then the whole purpose of this, verse 42, it will be a burnt offering of continuity throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of assembly or tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. This is what he's always been going for, that I'm going to meet with you here at this altar. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to be our interaction point. Um, and again, it's like this repetition, and I will meet with the Israelites there, and it will be consecrated by my glory. And so... This this last section we really loved this last yeah, section forty three yeah. uh, through forty six. So what did what did you find really interesting about this? Well, I mean, kind of what I was saying before is you know it feels like up to this point it feels like all the work is being done by Aaron and like you you really don't see like well what's God's role in this mm-hmm. up to this point. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, because it's like. Aaron and and his sons and and the people around them are, you know, putting these clothes on and you're kind of like where exactly is God while they're doing all that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Is he just like sitting in the middle waiting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like what's what's going on? And so for me, it's like, oh, God's really they're not really doing it, none of this is po- none of what they are doing is possible without God. God is That's right. Yeah. It's not um you know, we talked about like the 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 bull and the rams, they don't actually consecrate anything. Right. You know, it's it's God who is doing the consecrating. It's yeah. these are, you know, symbols That's to right. kind of get to this place. And so um I don't know. I just, it, it was a very powerful moment when we first read this, um, just to see, um, yeah, it's like the culmination of everything of just saying, like, remembering that the whole purpose of this is to, is to be in God's presence and to draw near to him. And it's the purpose of it is not to just simply get rid of sin just so you can trawl a law. Through yeah. life and not well have isn't sin. that great I've dealt with sins yeah I mean right. and it is great that we've dealt great. with sin but why yeah why did we There's deal with more sin to so that it. we can go yeah. and be in his presence and yeah and so uh, just to make sure we're clear about what we're catching on to here is that you know we feel like we've had this whole section about here's how Aaron is going to consecrate here's right. how Aaron yeah. is going to do these things but then the way that he ends it is that it will be consecrated by my glory. Not not by the bull, blood of bulls. Like he's gonna he's gonna allow that to be done and use it for its purposes, um, but it's ultimately him who who uh, who consecrates by his glory, by his glory filling the tabernacle. He consecrates, uh, and I will consecrate the tent of assembly and the in the altar. And Aaron and his sons, I will consecrate that. He like he talking about. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this mm-hmm. happen. Uh, this is Peter ends. He he writes, uh, the tabernacle is the place where God's glory dwells and where He has chosen to meet with His people. It is God's presence, His glory, that actually consecrates the tabernacle. 
It is not the ceremonies that consecrate the tabernacle or the priest, but God himself, no doubt through the ceremonies. In other words, there is nothing magical or manipulative on the part of the people to make it happen. It is God's tabernacle, his priesthood, his people. He will prepare his people to be suitable, a suitable dwelling for himself. Uh, the final three verses of chapter 29 are a fitting end to the topic at hand. The writer ties together the tabernacle and the priesthood with the exodus itself. The tabernacle and the priests have been consecrated and God now dwells with his people. Now the people are to think back to what God has done in bringing them out of Egypt. It is this, it, or in this way, the people will know that Yahweh is their God. As we have noted many times, the purpose of the exodus was not simply to free slaves. It was to bring God's people into a covenant relationship with him through the law, tabernacle, and the priesthood.